Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experiences of field, and to share our members' stories. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome in, everybody, to the first official episode of Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Special week here at the National Wild Turkey Federation. It's Conservation Week 2021. We're celebrating all things conservation, past, present, and future goal setting. Uh, Special episode this week. Great way to kick off the program with guests. We have a three-guest panel for you. We're welcoming in Cuz Strickland from Mossy Oak, NWTF's own CEO, Becky Humphreys. And from the great state of Missouri, Sarah Parker Polly, Director of the Department of Conservation. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to hit that subscribe and rating where applicable. For now, sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Let's go. Welcome, everybody, to this first episode of Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Our first guest, uh, this is Conservation Week. Cus Strickland, Mossy Oaks, Mossy Oaks' own, is joining us uh, from Mississippi. How are you, Cuz? Fred, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the rain to quit. I feel like I live in a tempered rainforest over here right now. But other than that, everything's lovely. <laughs> um. Yeah, we were uh, a drought for the last, I don't know, 12 months or so up here. Pretty bad. And uh, we got more than more than enough rain now. It just sounds like you guys do as well. Yeah, we've had a, an interesting spring, uh, summer. You know, the army worms were <clears throat> at epic levels, which was weird. I lost about three and a half acres of corn to the army worms. I didn't even know they would climb a stalk, but they say there's like three different kinds. That combined with the wet weather, I have no food plots yet. And, you know, I have grandsons now who are, like, licking their chops to get started. And they're like, hey, Pop, what's up with the food plots? So I'm going to try to get them in this weekend. Uh, Good news, seeing pretty good turkey, you know, poults. And I think we had a good hatch around here for whatever reason. So that's, uh, that's always number one with me. You know, deer hunting, we do that because turkey season ain't open. That's exactly right. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so you you guys are seeing good turkey recruitment on the ground down there from this year? Now, totally unscientific. I got buddies around me. You know, <clears throat> they'll send me a picture. Oh, I saw this. I saw that. And, you know, me personally, I've seen, you know, f- probably four or five flocks that had eight or nine each, which is pretty rare. You know, most of the times you'll see a, a, a you know, a hen that'll have two or three or three or four, and I've seen multiple hens with eight or nine, which is pretty good. Now, pretty good uh, I'd say in this area up here where I hunt and where I live and all that, I've got some other guys, and we've really gotten into trapping, especially nest predators, and I, I personally feel like we're seeing the results of that. So I don't know where you're at on trapping, but I'm, I'm beginning to think that's the most – powerful tool in our box right now to be honest with you there's something to be said for it right i mean obviously i i trap for years and i have two elementary age school kids and uh 
time is not on my side for running a lot of good lines. I miss it terribly. Um, but there is, there's a lot of value to that. And I've, I've talked at not at nauseum about trapping and the benefits of it, not really hard selling just because, because fellas like you and I, we appreciate, understand it and what it means to get out there and get your hands dirty and your knees dirty and make those sets. And, you know, there's a, there's an art to it too, right? I mean, to get an animal to put its little foot in that one specific spot on an upland set or you're doing water sets and you're trying to funnel an animal into one spot. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think just anyone can do that. You have to have your woodsmanship about you and know, know the land and know what you're doing when it comes to that. And obviously the, for the, for the ground, uh, nesters, there's so much to be said for that and the benefit of, of getting out there and running some steel. Yeah, I, I had the pleasure of spending <clears throat> a week with Alan Probst. He's got a company, North American Trapper, and <clears throat> he's a North, he's a PA guy. But man, you talking about learning from the best? And then we got my two of my three grandkids involved, and they ended up setting up their own little trap line with mostly dog-proof traps and stuff. But uh, I, I showed them how to do all the sets, and they were fascinated with it. And uh, I think they may have enjoyed it as much or more than actually hunting because it's uh, it's very addictive. But I can tell you, it's making a big difference on that property around there where I live and south of me. It's it's helping a lot because back in the day, everybody trapped, and now very few people trap. That's right. Well, the 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 incentive, the the monetary incentive's gone. The, I mean, the fur market has not come back since mid to late seventies, I think. Um, the dog proofs you mentioned, I, I love them because it's an easy set for the kids. So they can go out there and, you know, you're not worrying about, uh, like working with con bears and potentially hurting yourself and having setters and, you know, getting hung in your own, uh, five fifties and above that, you know, it won't break your bones, but it'll, it'll let you know what uh, you're alive. But it's like Christmas day every single day. It's like, Oh, there, there's always that potential. We go into the deer stand. Of course, there's always a potential to see animals to see something but uh when you go out there in the morning and run that line uh, i feel like personally i have a better chance of really seeing something that's been my experience over the years yeah absolutely there's nothing that was the take from the involving the grandkids their their eyes would get bigger as we were rounding that that trail you know they knew their set was coming up and it and toward end they were picking their own spots and Man, it's uh, it's pretty uplifting. Anything you can do to get them off the, you know, the TV screen or their phone or their Xbox for a while, but it's up to us to make it entertaining, and that's a that's a big deal to get it more entertaining than some of those games and all. But you know, people complain about not doing this and not doing that, but especially with young kids, you can't just complain about them being on their devices. You got to come up with a plan. To substitute that, that's in that's inviting and exciting, and some people aren't willing to do that. Man, outdoors is a place to do that, in my opinion. Yeah, you're a hundred percent spot on. I, I subscribe to that myself, and you know, it's this is a great topic to talk about here in Conservation Week, and it's it's completely appropriate because we're we're working to get people outdoors. However, they're appreciating that um, whether you're hiking, you know, managing your land running a trap line if you're in season uh for your spring benefit um and yeah something so interactive like running a trap line like turkey hunting waterfowl hunting i don't disparage people from taking youngsters out deer hunting 
But, um, you know, to your point, not the most engaging uh, exercise, especially with the young kids and when they're used to that instant stimulant, uh, that instant feedback from video games and, and the like, uh, you know, we got to kind of go to their, their tendencies. So, you know, there's huge value in being able to just go for a walk, not worry about the nuance of scent control and things of this nature. And turkey hunting, trapping certainly lend themselves to that. That's right. <clears throat> and, you know, you say, well, I can't change the whole world. But, you know, here, it's like my youngest grandson, Cranky, his name's Ben. We call him Cranky. He's a cat. But he killed a really nice deer a year or so ago. And I was talking to him a week later. I said, I said, Cranky, did you tell all your buddies at school about your big deer? Show them a picture. He said, no, Pop, they don't hunt, which kind of broke my heart. So our deal is you know, we're going to invite one at a time, you know, let's introduce them to that, talk to their parents. Hey, we're not going to shoot a rifle. We're going to do with a crossbow. But if you, if everybody just took one, if everybody out there that has a hunting license just said, okay, this year I'm going to introduce somebody. If everybody did just one person, bam, we've doubled our numbers. You know, that's the way you got to look at that. And, uh, some, and it's a lot of work, man, to be, to be somebody's mentor, and hunting in like golf, you know, you want to play golf, you can go down to the country club and get a lesson. Thirty minutes for thirty dollars. You can't do that. Hunting, you gotta you gotta you gotta go all in. But that's that's we're at that point, I think. You've been at this for a long time. Uh and if if you're new to the hunting community, you're new to the space and you don't recognize cause, I highly recommend just go on to YouTube, Google. I'm sure there's some some Airfinger quote vintage footage out there uh, that'll prove what I'm saying. Uh, if someone's been at it for a long time, it's cause from when you guys started filming, really taking the brand uh, to next levels, like 2021, especially here in Conservation Week. I mean, you just said if anyone, if everyone would just take one person, uh, is that enough? Do you think right now, or is that is that just the the bare minimum we can do? Personally, I think we should be doing more, but how do we get there? You know, that's a great question because what happens, I, I'm, I'm old enough to where I kind of saw it all unfold. There was no hunting industry when we started. It was, you know, Will Primos and Toxie Hayes and these people just, you know, uh, wearing all kind of hats. We did that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go attend a shot show in Las Vegas and go, wow, holy Toledo. And what's happened is we – uh we almost outrun our, we, we kind of outran our punt coverage. We didn't bring a lot of people, I think, along with us. It's like for a long time, the average age of a person buying a hunting license nationwide went up one year, every year. It's like, you know, it was 40 and then it was 41. So it's like in our environment, it's hard to, to bring people in if their family aren't doing it. And I've said from the get-go uh, one way to get more people involved is to talk about the food aspect as people, they may not be into hunting boy, they're into knowing where their protein comes from. That's why the, you know, fill the fork and fill the table and all that kind of stuff is done so well. And I've, I've seen it firsthand. People want to know how to do it. Here's what, here's the great thing about turkey hunting. That's why I try to introduce so many people to the hunting through turkeys because they can envision themselves shooting a turkey and packing it out over their shoulders, you know, they eat them for Thanksgiving. Not so much on big game. They, the, what freaks people out when you're trying to get them in is, okay, I, I think I can do it. 
what do I do once the deer slash elk slash whatever it is is down? That freaks people out. And you, you got to teach them how, you know, there's there's meat processors. Here's how you do it and all that kind of stuff. The meat thing, it brings in a whole different skew of folks. I mean, that's a big audience we're talking to right there. And that's that's kind of what we got to do is you, it, people have got to understand you got to accept change and just run with it. Because if you don't, you're just going to be miserable, you know. And the way that we have to reach people now, I mean, we did it on television for decades. Where Our timing was perfect. That's the only vehicle people had. Sunday night, man, on TNN at 7 o'clock, hunting the country. The ratings were unbelievable. Well, guess what? That day's long gone. If, you ain't deli- if you're not delivering it to their phone, or their iPad in an entertaining way, you're not reaching them. And sometimes it's hard for people to grasp that. And I'll, I'll say this for Toxie Hayes. He was way ahead of that curve, and we had long talks about, you know, that's changing. Let's start kind of leaning more for this. and Because we were deep in the television business. At one point, we had five shows. We were doing one for Remington and one for the NRA, and it just went on and on. And as that market declined, Toxie kind of picked up on that. And his boys, you know, especially Daniel, he, he that's all he deals with is social media messaging and stuff like that. So uh, we're not necessarily trying to reach guys like my age. We got to figure out how to make it entertaining for, you know, the younger people. And I, I try to do that. And I, I, desper- I, I totally believe they want information you know, on how to do it because probably their dad ain't doing it or something or whatever. And I feel like that's our responsibility is to pass that on, make it easy for them. Don't freak them out. I get aggravated on television. If you watch a lot of commercials, sometimes you feel like you got to be like a 25-year-old triathlete that can run up the mountain. And that ain't the case. Man, I'm still hunting. You know, I'm 67 years old, just loving it. So we got to... We got to tweak them messages. I personally think NWTF's doing a great job with that. You know, people freaked out over the logo and stuff. I liked it. Uh, it's like, come on, we got we got we got new audiences we're reaching for. Put your arms around it. So, okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. So, no, I love it, and and you know, I will say not to you know pump a guest tires, but it's it's completely legit if you go back over you know, your own social media, what you've been doing over the years, uh, as, as a fan, as a, you know, a space colleague, you know, you personally have been way out front and I've noticed that over the years, like here's a fellow that's been entrenched in this stuff for decades, not years, decades, and still has the wherewithal and the understanding, uh, to see where this needs to go and how, how this continues, that it's not done in a vacuum, and that, yeah, we have to go to where people are at in their space, in their comfort zones, and start speaking different languages, ultimately the same language and the same message. It's just how it's perceived by the receiver, right? So uh, hats off to you because, because uh, you know, you got it with the podcast and you got on it as well. You understood uh, a drum I was beating as well. Like, listen, we're real good about touting these demos right we got to hit the 35 and under demo but we weren't going to them like they were on this podcast forum this platform for years 
It's like, well, that's where they're at. And you, you hit it too. Like they're on the phones or on the iPads. So go to where they're at, make it easy for them. And, you know, that's, you know, like you and some others in the space are having success with it because they recognize that. And it's great that people are coming along and, and now kind of putting their pride aside and, and recognizing that as well. Um, you reaching out to uh, other people uh, in that, you know, I, I call them non-endemics, the non-traditionals. You've been great about that, whether it's food motivation, whether it's creating opportunity for uh, urban youth and, and uh, you know, people that are just too busy to get out there by your initiatives with law enforcement and veterans. I mean, this is this is important stuff. And this is what maintains our culture and our lifestyle. Um, and again, when we're talking about Conservation Week, it takes everybody to get out there. It's not just uh, the same people that have been watching Outdoor Channel for 30 years. Uh, that's a that's a great population, but it's a small part of our population. That's right. You know, uh, <clears throat> there's a, you know, it's, it's, you just got to keep up. My young, my oldest grandchild's a, a girl. Matter of fact, she's a uh, two or three weeks in her first year at Mississippi state. But when, and man, she's brilliant. But when she, she was like 12, maybe 13, we were sitting there and she was fooling with her phone and I got on her a little bit and, and she made this, profound statement she's like pop if you're not on instagram you're not relevant now she she was just she wasn't pointing picking me out she was just telling me that's what's relevant in her life and i made the decision right then you know what i'm gonna be relevant in those kids lives so i dug in i'm gonna i said i'm gonna figure some of this social media out now i don't do twitter to me sometimes that's a dark place so i just leave twitter alone but i got a pretty big Instagram account, a huge Facebook deal because I joined all these pages and I learned right on that people, for whatever reason, through Mossy Oak, recognize me. So I'm very careful in what I post. It's just natural things. I don't try to sell them stuff. If you see a lot of the people that are real recognizable, the, every post is about my hashtag bow, hashtag tree stand, hashtag, and man, yeah. You can lose a lot of followers like that. And I'm just like, you know what? If they're going to take the time to follow me and listen to what I got to say, I'm going to try to be at least positive and not just trying to sell them stuff. But that's where they're getting it. I've had the luxury of watching my kids grow up in this business and then watching these grandkids. And it keeps changing and keeps changing. And I'm always figuring out what can I do to entertain them? What can I do to make them, you know, think that what I did was cool. My Instagram account, you met my daughter a while ago. She's She produces all that. She's really good too. But she was showing me some stuff on Instagram, and my followers are like between 15 and 35 years old, which freaks me out. And it's also a big compliment. But with that comes a big responsibility. And uh, that's why, like – when I say something, they know I mean it. Just like the when the NWF changed their logo, I said, man, see me how I love it. I love the messaging because we're, you know, we've already, you got me. I'm 67. I've been on board for a long time. Let's go get my eight-year-old. And everybody's thinking about that, and I admire that. So, yeah, you got to be flexible, and you got to be willing to change your message. And change makes people uncomfortable. That's just human nature. You know, but uh, I think uh, good for Becky and the whole staff, you guys, NWTF. I think y'all are uh, uh, got your toe in that water and, and, and trying to figure it out. 
I'm, I'm a fan. Oh, we certainly appreciate it and the love and the support. And, and, uh, when I saw your testimonial on social with that cap and I was like, there it is, there's cause he's repping and, uh, he's speaking directly to the people and, you know, uh, Decades of reputation have earned you uh, well-deserved clout. And if you, you know, in my opinion, if you had a problem with it, see Cuz. And, you know, if you're going to challenge Cuz, good luck. <laughs> That's how I felt about it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I try to tell people all the time, I've, every week on the podcast, and I didn't know two or three years ago, I didn't know what a podcast was. Lauren kept telling me, we got to have a podcast. And now it's doing remarkably well for whatever reason but like i got i had a guy in here that's going to air next tuesday and he has a he works for this big equipment rental company because i wanted to talk about you don't have to have a hundred thousand dollar tractor you can go down to all these big sunbelt companies and rent a tractor and a disc and a trailer for one weekend get five guys involved y'all put up you know a couple hundred bucks a pete i'm always thinking about that normal average joe and jane but before we started, I said, I said, now look, y'all don't sponsor this podcast, do you? Oh, no. I said, and you're not going to give me something free for the No, no, because I want everybody to know this is good information. You know, there's no skeleton in the closet, not trying to get a good deal. They know the only brand I'm tied to is Mossy Oak and have been since the get-go. But I think in this day and time, that kind of stuff is important because it's really hard to find the truth anywhere. I ain't talking about just the news. I ain't going down that rabbit hole, although I could. I think <laughs> I think people are looking for people that they feel like are just trustworthy, you know? There's an infinite amount of value in authenticity. And people recognize it and the young people recognize it and they smell BS right away. Just like turkey hunters, right? If you get some Joe Blow off the street that's going to try to tell, sell you a, a turkey call that he just put in his hand an hour ago and, and try to talk turkey to you, we'll all pick him out in a crowd like that. It'll be over, and, and he'll go back to the street. Same thing here. If people feel like you know uh, they're being pushed a certain product, they tune out, myself included. I, it's been a, uh, a knock on, on some of the stuff we've done in the space for years and on my part, cause I felt like I was always being placated to. And I was like, listen, I'm, I'm here for the storytelling. I like sitting around the, the TV as a campfire. I like sitting around the podcast as a digital campfire. Now uh, I want to hear stories. And we've been doing this since the, the, the beginning of time in caves and, and spitting uh, berry juice on the, on the wall and making handprints and you know, all this, that's what we do. And that's what, as human beings, we, we thrive on. That's what gives us our, our nature. That, that's what separates us from monkeys swinging in the trees, right? Uh, so when you're when you're constantly just pushing uh, something that's just hermetically sealed, no one, most people nowadays just they don't want it. Uh, what you what you do on yours, fistful of dirt, and others, they're successful because it's authentic and the message is authentic, and there's real passion behind that. Well, Fred, you get it, and I, and I think there's a lot of people that get it. Apparently, there's a you know a big group of young people who get it. You know, Lauren and I, she said she I, she kept trying to tell me we need to tell more stories, and I'm thinking, man, I need to get some cool guests in here. She said, no, I mean that'll be fine. Anyway, she said post this on your Facebook and Instagram. I was like, all right, who do you want to hear from on the podcast, and what do y'all want us to talk about? 
and got like 600 responses overnight, and 80% of them were exactly what you just said. I want to hear hunting stories. And that freaked, that kind of freaked me out a little bit. You know, I was like, wow, because I've never felt like anything I did was very entertaining at all. I just hadn't felt like that. But, you know, there's a lot that's gone on in, you know, 50 years of me hunting and some of the guests I bring in. So I kind of take them down that road and I always try to start off and end and tell one in the middle. But uh, people like it. It's just easy listening entertainment. And they want to do that, but they also want to hear about it without being sold some. So I think you're 100% correct, Fred. I, uh, I think when you do this stuff, especially to your level, uh, for so long. Um, and then myself included being in this space for a decade and a half now, you can become a little jaded to it. It's just, it becomes a little bit of white noise and you have personal goals, missions for your organizations, things of that nature. So some of the nuance gets lost, the stuff that you really appreciate or that you may not put a value on anymore because you're always resetting the bar for yourself. But to that average Joe, right, that we were talking about earlier, you know, those real stories of somewhere you screwed up or some goof. I mean, there's more value in that than saying, yeah, I went out and shot this 27-pound bird with two-inch hooks and, you know, this crazy 14-inch beard. Like, that's cool, and it's something to eye at, but I want to hear how, you know, you were working this six-inch bearded Jake and he busted you 40 yards out and how you screwed up and what you learned. That's what I want to hear. I, I tell this story for a long time. I was, I was embarrassed by it, but when I first started archery hunting, I had no mentor, right? So I had a three pin sight. It was red, yellow, and green. And I thought that meant stop, assess your target and go. I didn't know they were yardage pins. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. But I tell people that, and it, it relaxes them because there's so much ego, so much ego driven in this, and, and, and it doesn't have to be. We make it too hard on ourselves. Yeah. Well, the, the ego is a big deal. And, uh, you know, if you watch the great communicators in the world, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, he spends a lot of time making fun of himself. That's why, yeah. that's why people relate to him so much. I just do that naturally because I've always felt like I was a little goofy. And, you know, I, I posted something yesterday and some guy just out of the blue said, what bow you shooting this year? I'm like, and I answered him, I was like, same one I had 13 years ago. Yeah. You know, I hadn't done anything to it. And people love that. I did a, a little video on the YouTube channel, like the KISS method, keep, keep it simple, stupid. And I showed him my rig and I know – Half the people were disappointed and half of them were probably fascinated because it's like, it ain't much there. You know, it really ain't. I, I worry about, uh, you know, trying to draw it as stealthy as possible and no movement and no sound and make it quiet. And it's like Barry and Gene Winslow said, you know, like bow hunting is about how close. It ain't about how far. And people get confused because they watch TV and, you know, and there's some great bow hunters out there, but everybody's not Levi Morgan. You know, I ain't shooting something sure. at 60 and 70 yards. I'm trying to get it 20 and under. And I'll tell you this, it's just like turkeys. If you, if you kept a journal and at the end of your hunting days, if you just went through your successful harvest, if that's what, how you rate success, I will guarantee you 99.9% of them are going to be close, you know? So people just want the truth. 
Uh, it's hard to get it. Now, I think they're getting used to where they can't get the truth now, depending on where they watch the news and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a big – we have a big opening right now to bring more people in. Uh, you know, we did. I did something with the uh, old QDMA a couple of years ago, and it was a, a, a – I don't know, a field of fork or something like that. But anyway, we had set up a booth and was cooking venison at this farmer's market and inviting people who were fascinated with venison – Anyway, the first big hunt they had, man, you're talking about a diverse crowd. I mean, it was very diverse. Let me just say that. You know, my, my there was a girl in there with purple hair and two Asian guys. It was just crazy, but they all were so focused on getting that deer and getting that venison, and everybody had a blast. I'm like, man, if we could just take this and bottle it, and put it on the shelf and sell it. That's what we need to do is everybody to like, here's what happens. It's like the the mentality of some old guys. It's like when I bought my first little piece of land, I didn't know anything about food plots. I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood riding a bicycle and selling golf balls at the local golf course. I wasn't a farmer. So when I would go into the co-op to find questions or, and I was even hesitant to ask Toxie and the guys at Biologic, I felt like, I was getting made fun of. You know, my dad used to have this term. He called them wicker bills. You know, for somebody that didn't know how to hunt and fish, he said, oh, that's a wicker bill. Man, we got to get off of that and kind of put our arms around people and say, look, here's what I do. This is the simplest thing in the world. And uh, that's an attitude we got to make sure we can do is embrace and not stand off with people who are just getting into it. So, and that's, I don't know if that's an ego issue or a self-esteem issue, but you know, what, what we need to be looking for is recruits. A thousand percent. And I think just, uh, I think just over the years, this, uh, meme of the hunter, the FUD, um, whatever you want to term it has taken hold, right? That's stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. Um, we have a, a u- unique opportunity in the last 18 months, this silver lining in the, covid era of of doing exactly that because so many people were motivated uh kind of forced their hand to go outside uh and and, and it sounds like we're retaining a lot of these people yeah. uh in a quite diverse crowd and and i'm thankful for it man i you know a good buddy of mine uh, politically we're completely opposite like to the furthest ends of the spectrum but we love each other and we're buddies because we agree on this. And this is both of our passions. And we don't, you know, we could agree on methodology and things of that nature, but philosophically uh, where we're going and what our end game is, is, is the same. And it's like, wait, if we can agree on that, let's focus on that and just have a good time. All the extra stuff is, is exactly that. It's, it's, it's the chaff on your, your dirt hole set. You're trying to get rid of it, you know, and just set it aside. Um, there's there's so much that can be built off of on that platform alone on that 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 solid foundation yeah and you know ted nugent's the best spokesperson in the world and he says it all the time what we do is perfect you know whether you read the bible or not what we do is perfect and uh it it, i've had a great time bringing people in and 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 changing their mind about it some people you're never going to change their mind you know, it's just no. I was sitting in the Denver airport one time. There was this lady next to me, and I either had on camo pants or a shirt or something that, you know, threw up a signal to her. And she said, So you've been hunting? 
and I hadn't. I'd been filming, but I said, yes, ma'am, we were chasing elk at the so-and-so and so-and-so. Man, she lit into me for seven, eight, nine minutes straight, and I'm just nodding my head. And when she got through, I was like, uh, so how long you been vegan? And she said, what do you mean? I said, I'm assuming you don't eat meat. Well, sure I eat meat. And I said, so, okay. So it's it's okay for you to go get you a big steak where they, you know, they kill the cow by shooting a wooden stake in its head with an air gun, but you don't want us chasing elk, you know, free range in New Mexico, and the odds of us killing one are one in a 50. And right. she, said, well, she said, well, that's different. Well, how do you argue with that? You just can't, you know, but there's people out there. It's like I said, if there ever is a referendum on hunting, you know, there's a... Uh, 20, 10 million people that are adamantly opposed and there's 20 million people who love it. Well, there's 270 million in the middle who don't have an opinion. And I always felt like when we were producing TV at Moss Hill, I wanted to address those 270 million people in the middle. I didn't want to give them a, a, a reason to turn the channel if they happened to see there. And uh, I didn't want to, uh, offend or run away the real hunters so it was always a fine line but i was like but you know what you know what 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 cruised that gap right there was storytelling you said you've said that twice in your conversation today good storytelling never goes out of out of, out of style it never will and uh that's what you need to do is uh just kind of tell your story and present it and if people are open which sometimes they are sometimes they're not and they'll listen to you and you can uh, kind of perk their curiosity, man. There's a there's a lot of people we could bring across. Again, just my opinion. You know, I'm a cameraman, but I'm <laughs> following the social media stuff as close as I do, you can kind of see what works and what don't. So, you know, and it's 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 really a part of our our genetic code and our makeup. You know, the the storytelling is is a part of being is part of humanity. It's, it is the humanities. You can go back to the Greeks and the Romans. I mean, this is great storytelling to the public square. Um, and, and hunting in and of itself, uh, the physical physical characteristics. This is a drum that's been beaten by our, our crowd over and over, but we got sharp teeth for a reason. Our eyes are set forward for a reason. Uh, we're lucky God gave us opposable thumbs and we're bipedal and we can move fast and outthink our our uh, our prey. Um it's by nature we we were meat eaters. Uh, you can choose to not, or you know that's on you. But uh, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And um, I'm encouraged by more of those people who are letting their guard down and not worrying about social influences from their their immediate confines. Uh, that is their 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 social circles, their their family units. Maybe you know I'm, I'm one of them. I've told this story many times to people over the years. I'm the first one in my family to hunt. I was in the Air Force, and I was damn determined that I'm going to do this. And I was in my early 20s, and, and I finally made it happen. But I never grew up doing it. I always thought, and this goes back to your point, that I was too poor to do it because it was equipment uh, rich. It was it's everything. It was just like, I can afford to fish. I can get a bobber and a worm, and I can have a lot of fun. And me and my dad did that for a number of years. But I never once asked him to go hunting because I didn't want to put him in a position of having to say, no, son, we can't afford that. That was it. Was out of a, a place of respect and reverence for him. Now, come to find out, all I had to do was ask, and he would have made it happen. But I, again, being a, a polite kid, I never did that. Uh, but and so back to you, 
it's not that expensive. It doesn't have to be that hard. You don't have to overthink it. This is natural, and, and you can go out there and do it for very little. Get your tags, do it right, uh, and and organizations that you run with uh, through Mossy Oak and through your initiatives provide opportunity for mentorship. And I think during this week of, of Conservation Week, I think during the Conservation Day that Mossy Oak is promoting, uh, what better time the calendar flips tomorrow. Today's the last full day of summer. Uh, we're going into fall tomorrow, and this is a perfect opportunity to commit to that one person that Cuz said, uh, bring them along. It's a lot of fun. And uh, for me, I, I quite enjoy bringing older folks out, you know, those people like me, 20-something years old to 30-something years old. Uh, they They have a profound appreciation for what you show them. Hey, man, you know, I was so inspired when uh, we had a big meeting. The Mossy Oak Properties thing has has done so well. And so three years ago, they came up with this idea of the Day of Conservation, you know, the week, uh, hunting and fishing days and all that kind of stuff. And we, we challenged all the Mossy Oak Properties franchise holders to do something that day, which, you know, just hashtag Day of Conservation. And it was just amazing. I, I ended up going back to my hometown down in Natchez, Mississippi, which is right across the Mississippi River from Bidega, Louisiana. And all the local bass clubs down there, which they are many, they had a trash tournament instead of a bass tournament. And whoever collected and brought in the most trash from those lakes, and we were weighing them and stuff. And I, well, I had the best time that day, and you wouldn't believe we had – like three of them giant dumpsters down there just taking and throwing stuff in them that had come out of the lake. And I'm like, you got to understand and believe that there's good people everywhere because there is. And that's, that's kind of my, my comeback when people may throw something at me about, I can't believe you kill animals or whatever. And I'll tell them right up the gate, hey, if you want to do something, if you want to make a difference, buy a hunting license. That's where all the money comes from. Do the research. Go read the Pittman-Robertson Act and see how turkeys got trapped and relocated or elk got moved to this spot. It's all hunters, fishermen, and trappers. And if you don't believe that, then you're just being a hypocrite. You need to read what happened. That's why I'm so proud to be a hunter and somebody who fishes and traps because they have always, and to this day, they pay the bills. They always have. And if you try to get that money somewhere else, you ain't going to get it. So no. it's a good time to kind of, as Taxi would say, put your thumbs in your suspenders and stick your chest out a little bit like, hey, wait a minute. We pay for all that stuff. That's why this uh, conservation, the wildlife, the hunting we have in the United States is the most successful thing ever. They, they don't do this anywhere else. And look where it is. We just got to protect it, hold on to it, make sure it doesn't get jacked up with everything else that's going crazy in the government. Yeah. But, you know, hunters and fishermen and trappers have always paid the bills. That's why I love, you know, Saturday, September 25th, our con- conservation day. We got a couple of things planned. We're going to plant a couple of trees and all that, and that may sound flaky. And I tell people, all that, if you can't do anything, if you're pressed for time, just buy one of your buddies that's never hunted a hunting license, you know, 15, 20 bucks. Do something. Again, it goes back to that thing. If everybody did one thing, if everybody recruited one hunter, Bam, we double our numbers. How much would y'all love to double your numbers in one season out there? That, and it's not that hard to do. It's just like we you got to get people fired up. It's a it's an easy slogan to put on a t-shirt. It takes it 
to another level when you actually follow through. But when you do it, it sounds kitschy to say, man, but I, I, I do it year in and year out, and I know you guys do as well. When you put it to practice and you put the slogan into your own life and you see it through and you create a hunter, it's more rewarding than pulling that trigger. I promise. I swear to God. Like when that individual or those two individuals get it and then they take off and go on their own and they start freelancing and they're sending you pictures and they're sending you texts. Hey, we did this. I did this with my kids. It's like, it's like, it's like you watch a kid get raised in a matter of a couple of seasons, your own offspring. You're like, I had a part of that. I'm a part of that person's history forever. I get goosebumps thinking about it right now. Like that's, you can't take that away. It's, it's there forever. And I think, uh, I think this is a great place to, you know, I said we were going to do 15, 20 minutes. We're double that because the conversation's so good and I could keep going. Uh, and I'm certain you can too. And I would just love to sit here and listen to you do the talk. But I think that's a great bow to put on this conversation for, for this week's episode is, you know, challenge yourself to follow through. Bring that one person. You heard Cuz put that out there. If we just take that one step that one person out will double our numbers in one season any parting words sir it ain't rocket science you know people talk about all the time when i'm talking about this like well you know i'm raising my kids to do this and you know i'm taking their kid and i, and I love that you got to do that but here's the deal you take somebody's kid that's never been hunting and they fall in love with it well if their mom and dad ain't into it guess what he ain't going anymore so that's why i say reach out to a grown-up and train them to do it because they have a driver's license and they have a little income, <laughs> then they can. That's it's right. like you said, you're a part of that DNA. Then you can watch them go on and do it. So it's it's kind of hard to do. It's uh, you got to be pretty unselfish, and uh, we've done it many, many, many times. But if you'll just get that one person going, if everybody, like I say, it ain't rocket science. Everybody picks out one person and brings them in. Bam, we have doubled our membership in the NWTF. Or we got twice as many people, you know, pledging a check to National Conservation Day or whatever it is. So that's what we got to do. And I'm telling you, people are looking for the light and getting away from, you know, the bad news. Well, we just got to convince them all the good news is over here with us. This is where the good people live. Amen. That's exactly right. You can't uh, you can't spin what's going on outside. It's you're living it. That's in, it. In it. You, your eyes don't lie to you. Cause it's been a pleasure. I appreciate your time this morning and, uh, have a great, uh, hunt fish day. Have a good conservation day at Mossy Oak on Saturday. And, uh, I definitely look forward to sitting down with you and, uh, and going longer next time. And, and hopefully I'll be in, in Mississippi for it and we'll be able to break a little bread together and I can get, uh, hear more stories. That'd be great. Fred, you're a good egg. I'm glad you get it. They got the right person in charge of that. God bless you and everybody over at the NWTF. And, uh, yeah, next time, let's set about an hour and a half, and we'll tell some stories. Yes, sir. That'd be great. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Fred. Thanks so much to Cus Strickland for coming on the show uh, and giving his perspective. Um, some great words of wisdom, a lot of life experience there. And, uh, you know, he's throwing down the challenge, and I think we all have the opportunity to increase to increase our ranks by one person. So um, I will personally take the challenge up uh, once again because I've, I've made that a goal of mine for a number of years and we'll keep going uh, with that and I hope you do too. 
Up next in the discussion, folks, we get to welcome in National Wild Turkey Federation CEO Becky Humphreys. Uh, very excited to have her on the program, uh, as well as uh, Missouri Department of Conservation Director Sarah Parker Polly. Uh, we're going to have a a conversation with the both of them at the same time uh, through the magic of Zoom technology uh, that we've all come to uh, love, hate, or otherwise uh, over these last uh, 18, 19 months. Uh, we get to set that up. So um, that's where we're going next. We're going to welcome in, again, National Wild Turkey Federation CEO Becky Humphreys and Director of Conservation in the great state of Missouri, Sarah parker Polly. Let's welcome them in. All right. Um, once again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'd like to welcome in Chief Executive Officer of the National Wild Turkey Federation, Becky Humphreys, and the Missouri Department of Conservation Director, Sarah Parker Polly. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much for setting time aside and, and joining us in this this celebration. This is the NWTF's Conservation Week, uh, and we're celebrating all across the nation. How are you both? I'm well. How about you, Sarah? I just was with you on the East Coast last week. It's good to see you again. Well, it was fantastic to see you last week, Becky. Absolutely fantastic. And it's great to be with you all today. So, Director Polly, uh, for those of you who, who don't know, um, uh, you're also, so you've made history here in the past with your amazing resume. Uh, first uh, female director of the Department of Conservation of Missouri. First president of AFWA, uh, and, and for the people that don't get down with the acronyms, that is the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. And you are one of our first guests on the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. So thanks for making that little bit of history with us. I feel very special, and thank you for the invitation. Oh, happy to have you. So, you know, coming off of AFWA, the um, National Celebration, National Conservation Week, a uh, lot of good stuff, as I understand, was talked about. Uh, so I think the, the timing is great for this, this conversation. And, you know, there's so many ways we can go with it. You know, just talked with Cuz Strickland on engaging um, youngsters, non-endemics alike, and, you know, what that means. And he threw a challenge down of, you know, during this week of conservation, Hunt Fish uh, National Hunting and Fishing Day coming up on Saturday. You know what can we do? And he's thrown the challenge down: bring one person out. One new person will double our ranks. But it goes deeper than that. Now, is the last eighteen plus months have shown us there is a return to the wild, right? People now more than ever going outside, whether that's because there's a genuine interest or there was nothing better to do because everything was closed. Now, with the rise of the, the airfinger, quote, COVID hunter, um, we have a unique opportunity. And more now more than ever, you know, engaging them, going to these folks where they're, where they're at, uh, technology-wise, by way of podcasts, social media. You know, to the both of you, how do you think we go about retaining uh, those, those individuals, those numbers? And, and more to that, we can deeper dive uh, the diversification of our community, because um, the face of the air, you know, the the standard hunter, it's changed completely, um, and we need to acknowledge that, and I, and in, you know, in my opinion, embrace it because it enriches the community and allows for so much great opportunity. Please, um, whoever would like to take a stab at it first. Sarah, you are one of our very first women, the outdoor coordinators. So, my dear, take it away. Hey, thank you for that. And I appreciate you uh, 
drawing that uh, detail in my resume to the forefront. Uh, I love NWTF and uh, was an NWTF, will always be an NWTF member, but it was a great pleasure to, uh, to serve in that capacity as a Women in the Outdoors Regional Coordinator. Great period of time and great way to connect with committees and, and I'll, I'll always treasure that experience. So Fred, I mean, that's, that is the big question for all of us in this outdoor recreation space is how do we keep up this momentum? Hmm. And, you know, during the pandemic, I will tell you organizations, uh, and I know Becky experiences the same thing, but we've, we've all had to pivot and we've all had to figure out how to do business differently. And quite honestly, we've learned lessons um, that we will carry forward into the future. I mean, we were able to do a great amount of work in a distributed uh, work fashion, sending a lot of our folks home uh, to work remotely. Um, Our private land specialists, their work really increased because more people had uh, time on their farms and had more time to inquire about What sort of cost share practices should I be utilizing on this? And so we really saw an increase in certain areas like that, Mm -hmm. including, to your point, an increase on just general usage on our conservation areas. So did our state parks. And so we've all been uh, talking in this outdoor recreation space about, you know, what was their motivation for coming outdoors? Fred, you mentioned a couple. We've done some surveys of our of deer hunters and spring turkey hunters that were first time permit purchasers asking the question, what was your motivation for purchasing that permit and and getting outside? And it might not surprise you. One of the biggest ones was just meat for the family. Mm. You don't know what's coming with this pandemic. Um, a A lot of concerns out there about the unknown of the future. But then a lot of it was what we would expect. This is a safe place to go with my family and uh, it's free um, here, at least here in Missouri on conservation areas. We can, we can go and, and uh, walk the trails or hunt during hunting seasons, et cetera, with no additional cost. Right. It's a safe place for the entire family. So we're, we're really kind of focusing on those motivations. We know we have more work to do on uh, digging down into those motivations, but we think that probably captures a lot of it. And so we have been uh, now focusing on those first time um, purchasers to make sure that uh, they have information on upcoming programming. Um, Here at Missouri Department of Conservation, we do a lot of uh, how-to programming. And during the pandemic, we had to pivot to pretty much Mm. all virtual programs. But there's another uh, bright spot in that where before we might have 50 people in an in-person uh, face-to-face program. In some cases, we had 600 plus people fantastic. joining virtual programs on topics like, again, pollinator plantings. Um, so we've, we've really said, okay, do they have the tools to continue that engagement? Um, how to... Uh, you know, how to scout for turkey and deer uh, pre-season, how to make sure you've got the appropriate equipment, um, have you identified public areas near you. Um, so there's all sorts of information that I think now that we know who those new users are, make sure that they have the information 
to stay engaged. For our non-hunters, but just, um, just again, this increase in engagement in the out of doors, we are also expanding a, a bit of our marketing. Uh, we've got a current marketing effort to what we call the yayas, which are really young adults in that, I think, 17 to 24 uh, age range. And uh, just making sure that through our publications, through our social media channels, that they know the conservation areas near them. Mm-hmm. Um, we sometimes will have local war uh, events in more of our urban areas where we bring in a local chef. We do wild game and edibles. And, um, you know, in our magazine, we're just uh, trying to entice those younger readers because our profile now of our magazine is... Um, uh, white male over 70, certainly Mm -hmm. over 65. And so we've got some work to do there of keeping our great readers, but also making sure that we're engaging and attracting those younger readers too. So we're using our programming, we're using our social media platform to make sure that those folks who want to engage in the outdoors have those opportunities Those same conversations were happening at the national level during the pandemic with not only our traditional industry partners, but with some new industry partners in that outdoor recreation space who may not necessarily be as focused on hunting and angling, but who offer outdoor recreation opportunities. And so there have been a lot of conversations about what do the trends tell us We know that a lot of people are going, kind of slipping back into their former habits pre-pandemic. And so we've really got to be, um, I think, not only offering new tools, but making sure we're collecting the data on, is it working? And identifying those motivations for folks and making sure we're offering programs that that match those motivations. I'll take a breath, Becky. (laughs) (laughs) Well... You know, Fred, there's been there's been change on the horizon for a while. Um, when I started my career and really the early days of hunting, I couldn't even find hunting gear in women's sizes. It was all men's. You know, I'd cinch mm. in the waist and and cuss and swear a lot you know, in the fitting <laughs> room because nothing fit. And you know, it was army surplus a lot of times. We've we've come of age. Let's just put it that way. And women have been a real growth segment. We've seen that even before the pandemic, which is absolutely awesome. And, and it's younger women. It's not, it's not just women whose kids are empty nesters at this point that are going with their husbands. It is younger women that are getting engaged and wanting to be part of it. But then also during the pandemic, I just spent last week, actually a week before last, I spent with a group of minority conservation leaders, the CEOs of minority groups who, some of whom started organizations before the pandemic, mm-hmm. some of whom used the pandemic to really reflect on what they wanted to give back. And they're trying to create those safe environments, self safe, welcoming environments for people to build the social network, to learn to enjoy the outdoors. And quite frankly, we need it. I'd love to have all those folks be part of NWTF, but you know, they need to feel um, a kindred spirit. You know, if it's not a family member or a friend already, they want to walk in the room and feel people, see people that look like them and have the same values and and similar backgrounds. And we've got to embrace that. Um, I just had a follow-up phone call with one of those groups yesterday on how we could help them because it's all one conservation community. Absolutely. Um, 
we spent a lot of time in NWTF, as you know, Fred, um, thinking about how we could market to a younger member because we're aging more than one year every single year with our membership too. And, and so we spent quite a bit of time looking about how we could resonate because the conversation has changed in the hunting community for the better. Hmm. You know, we have moved beyond the, the trophy, showing the kill shots on all the TV shows, sitting in the armchair, the rest of it. And there's nothing wrong with some of that. But we are now moved to an era where it's a much more robust discussion about the value of hunting mm -hmm. in our lives, the spiritual connection to where the food we eat, to being with our friends and family and celebrating that harvest. And I think it's a much more genuine, heartfelt um discussion of hunting and what it means at least it resonates better with me and and i think it resonates better with most of the people that are getting into it and with that we have nice forums that are very genuine you know it's not a teed up special hunt that's being filmed it's about real life people and the yeah. stuff that you run into the good the bad the ugly and and everything in between so as that's what life is it's a bit messy at times as we're talking this through, um, you know, I immediately comes to mind a friend of mine who we actually featured in our in our recent um, Turkey Call book, uh, Cliff Cadet, and you know we talk about engaging people uh, inside the concrete jungles of America, the urban environments, which on the face of it is fantastic and a noble mission. But you hear somebody like Cliff's story, we engage them. Okay, how do we get them logistically? out of the concrete jungles and into the fields, into the forest, because something when Cliff and I have, have talked uh, over the phone or otherwise, I, something I never considered. I, I look out my window as we sit here now having a conversation. I have nothing but trees and forest. It's where I live in New Hampshire. I'm, I'm completely blessed. And I, I suspect the two of you have similar situations, but he lives uh, on the Island in New York. So it's subways, it's tar, it's concrete, and it's a good 45 minutes to 60 minutes before he starts seeing uh, uh, trees and areas to hunt. So, you know, we we go to these folks and we get them engaged, but the next step is actually getting them physically to these spaces. And, you know, public land becomes uh, an, uh, an obstacle for a lot of people across the country. Um, so... In your your discussions, does does that come up the the logistics of we we have interested people they want to be here they're part of our community they're here how can we physically get them to where they need to be so they can enjoy these opportunities? Well, don't don't forget they don't have to leave some of the for hunting they might have to for fishing you know back in the sixties across the nation this country invested very heavily in urban urban fishing mm -hmm. opportunities and creating tremendous opportunities to bring fish passage into cities and clean up the water as part of it. And a lot of those programs are still in place that allow tremendous opportunity right in urban environments. And I think they're historically, Sarah, I don't know about Missouri per se, but I know in Michigan, reaching into the outdoor community, we had tremendous out sportsman's clubs in the city of Detroit that still had very active memberships when I was director. So, you know, we just got to move it to the next generation and then figure out ways that we can connect the dots so they know where they can go, where they're welcome, where there's safe environments, what's open to them, and that 
quite frankly, we got to an era where we were shutting down some of our public land to recreational hunting and fishing that we could easily open up and hunt. And we were seeing more partnership with the federal government these days and state governments to do exactly that. Sarah, your thoughts. Well, no, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the question. And I think to Becky's point, um, you know, there is this continuum. And so let's make that first connection. There's some great work going on in St. Louis right now. Um, It's called the Green City Coalition. And there is a a massive multi-year effort underway to convert a thousand abandoned lots in really inner city St. Louis into green space. Mm. Uh, That's one piece. But the key piece is making sure that those in in the neighborhoods and the surrounding neighborhoods feels like it's not somebody else coming in to do that. It is is, they are vested Mm -hmm. in what that green space looks like and uh, that it becomes meaningful to them that they are part of that planning process. It might seem like something little, but for folks, to your point, Fred, when it's concrete all around, and I'm still reminded of a a wonderful speaker I heard who said his connection and love of nature happened in Central Park. Fishing, Becky, fishing, and uh, some, what he called his old timers would sit on a bench and show him how to fish, and you know, that's where he fell in love with, with nature. So we got to use uh, the resources that we have where people are at and meet them where they're at. And, and for us, it's turning in at least having the opportunity for trees and, and native plantings and a fishing pond. We do invest in Missouri a lot of resources into communities for local community lakes and fish access and boat access. Uh, in communities all around Missouri. And so that's a, a key part of it too, is making sure that people have those close to home um, opportunities wherever they are. And I do think fishing is that great entry point um, as well. We do have some very active sportsmen's group who do do mentoring hunts and mentoring fishing events. Uh, I think that still leads a bit to um, making sure that it's it's not a one and done, but that those opportunities exist uh, kind of on a, on a continual cycle. And so if a young person in urban St. Louis is interested in doing more, that they have mechanisms to uh, make connections and get out there. We have conservation educators uh, throughout our state where their mission is to connect with those younger audiences, well, audiences of all age and also more diverse audiences to make those connections. So we, we have a new office opening up even in, in downtown St. Louis where we are gonna be very focused on uh, providing service and opportunities um, to people of all socioeconomic, all different backgrounds. Uh, so find them where they're at, provide opportunities where they're at, and then continue to build along that continuum for further engagement. And we know we've got work to do of uh, making sure that for those who their interest increases, that uh, we're continuing to engage them. There's a common thread in what you're saying. And, you know, when you reference locavorism and people providing for their family, there's a there's a sense of pride that comes with that. <clears throat> Whatever it is they're coming home with, they're, they're down 
fishing for striped bass or perch or they're getting a wild turkey or venison bringing it home there's pride in that there's community in that and then there's this kinship of i want to now share this i want to uh-huh. share it with my neighbors i want to share this with uh, a relative likewise with your community projects turning these uh, gray spaces into green spaces if you are actually vested you are turning dirt those those populations of people it's not just something that the department of highway or management came in and turned over they did that so you know not only is there their time in there but there there is a sense of ownership in that and that's for me that's the carrot right like you can sit there and, and five years from now or 10 years from now with with their kids or their grandkids and said we had a hand in that and we made this place beautiful and now you can go play on it um what a phenomenal model or just an idea that could be replicated in so many places turning uh, for lack of a better term ugly places into just beautiful places and it's it's in us i think it's in our human nature to do this stuff and and to to foster these kind of areas and you you have a, a chemical reaction in your brain where you know these endorphins are kicked off just because you're you're amongst nature you're getting vitamin d you're around green things and this this makes sense on a very yeah. basic natural level. It's well, interesting. Think, no, go ahead, Becky. Well, I think humans crave it, you know. And I think there's been a, you know, sometimes we think we've come up with something new. When you look at the historical <laughs> roots of the conservation movement in this country, really, it came hand in glove with a lot of women's clubs and gardens clubs doing just that, trying to clean up our dirty cities mm. from industrialization and doing plantings and picking up litter and forestry committees that eventually created the U.S. Forest Service. So there's a history of it, but we need to rekindle it. We've forgotten it for a while. Absolutely. But I think we all crave it. And and quite frankly, it'll also help us because all that thermal mass, you know, when we have these heat waves that are going through, it just absorbs it, radiates it at night and makes it those urban centers, those, those, places with a lot of pavement and structure, even hotter. Mm. And that's not a fun place to live during hot environmental situations. And those those same buildings create wind tunnels. And the Windy City is called the Windy City for a reason. <laughs> All you got to do is walk around downtown Chicago when, when it's um, uh, 20 degrees out and know exactly how it got its name. So there are some things that we can do to make our homes, no matter where they are, more green, more friendly, more environmentally comfortable, quite frankly. The other side, really, oh, know, go ahead, ma'am. I was I, just going to, well, Fred, you um, you uh, brought up the great point and, and Becky added on to that. You know, I'm going to suggest that the science now really just reinforces what those of us who have been blessed to have spent a lot of time in the out of doors know intuitively but it's, it is fascinating to see how the science now just reinforces the benefit of green space, of um, being outside to our mental health, to our physical health, to our emotional well-being. We just launched a new program with the state chapter of um, uh, pediatricians in the state related to Parks RX. So for those pediatricians who want to engage in the program, and there's quite a number of them now, uh, we, uh, Missouri Department of Conservation, Missouri DNR, and the state parks who have offerings all over the state for green space, for trails, for getting outside. Um, those pediatricians can write prescriptions uh, to young folks who may benefit from that time hmm. outside. And uh, 
again, just kind of confirming what we all intuitively know, but this really leads into the discussion that you asked at the beginning, Fred, of during the pandemic, what else have we seen as an opportunity to take advantage of? And it is this discussion, you know, some will call it one health, but it just basically means this interconnection between healthy ecosystems and healthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we saw the SARS-CoV-2 disease and this connection with wildlife, and we, we see increasing uh, wildlife diseases on the landscape, that's kind of the one side is the, uh, the fish and wildlife health side of when there isn't a healthy ecosystem, what are the impacts to humans? And then we've been talking about kind of the positive side of healthy nature does equal uh, healthy humans, but it is an opportunity to reinforce the science, to reinforce this intuitive uh, thing that I think we've all been talking about, that we all have a responsibility to take care of and steward our resources because our very well-being as humans depend upon uh, healthy landscapes, healthy habitats, um, ultimately a healthy environment. And so we've tried to, even through messaging here at the department, um, make sure that folks are making that connection of when, when the natural world is healthy, we're part of it, that, that leads to healthy humans as well. So that's another, I think, opportunity or silver lining that's come out of this pandemic. Yeah, for sure. There's there's no doubt about it. And I think it's important that we continue to remind folks of that as we look back, especially those of us with school age children, and we're still living in through this, that, you know, there are silver linings to the past almost two years now. Um, and this for us is, is fantastic. And it's, um, it's an opportunity not to be missed. And I'm, and I'm encouraged that leadership uh, from the both of you and your colleagues uh, are are still spearheading this and engaging on so many different levels and then empowering people in their communities to have ownership of that. And they're getting on board and seeing uh, the importance of it and, and taking that uh, from a, you know, a local prideful standpoint, because you can't do it all from sitting in an office. I mean, as much as we try, you have almost 1500 employees out there. Can't touch them all. Unfortunately, uh, Becky understands that as well. But when we empower those people locally and they have ownership in that, I mean, so much is getting done and, you know, kind of bring it full circle. What we're highlighting here this week is, is exactly that. Well, and it's going to take all of us. You know, we talked earlier about various initiatives. When you look across all the various states, there are all kinds of initiatives out there. In South Carolina, I sit on a board that one of the the former South Carolina commissioners started a group to line up private landowners to invite people that don't have access to hunting onto their private lands to hunt. You know, this is to duck hunt, to quail hunt, to, you know, turkey hunt. What a neat initiative it is. You know, and various states have various programs for this, but, you know, it's going to take all of us pulling in one direction to really build all those connections, connect the dots that are out there. Make sure our world is a little greener and a little more comfortable and a little more sustainable, um, that we understand those connections and then we all work together to, to keep them sustainable. I think Absolutely. one of the other big benefits we really saw in this pandemic is, and it's unfortunate, there are lots and lots of challenges that we're facing right now, but we have raging forest fires and hurricanes and some real climatic issues that are rearing their nasty head right now. 
and people are beginning to see the importance of actively managing mm. um, our environment for this. We, you know, we have fire-driven habitats across this country that fire has been on that landscape for years, and we've tried to suppress it. And and as we have reduced our fiber production, we have also built up fuel loads in a lot of these forests. And so it's been dangerous, you know, and people see that. And I think they're beginning to recognize the fact that we can we can run prescribed fire through that forest as an active management tool. We can harvest fiber and and Lord knows wood prices have been <laughs> yeah. sky high during COVID with all the home projects out there. That's right. We can use that fiber to improve our homes and maybe even build a few more of them since there's a, a bit of a housing shortage right now. And we can have healthier forest as part of it. And the same is true with our coastal wetlands. You know, these hurricanes are just devastating to those, those shorelines that no longer have big delta vegetation buffers mm. on them. And we can't just put up hardscape. There will never be a wall, retaining wall, high enough no. or secure enough to keep out some of these climatic events. And so we're going to have to work with that. And I think people are starting to connect those dots a little bit more. And that's, I think that's really healthy. And yeah. I'm very Becky, the, Becky, the interesting piece of that in, in Missouri, as you were talking, I was just thinking, of course, what we're seeing is increased flooding. Yeah. Um, and so what that is leading to is uh, more aggressive floodplain management, setting hmm. back levees, et cetera, uh, allowing mother nature to, you know, a little more, a little more space in that regard. Um, but I, I do think we are at this more teachable moment as, you know, even with that apartment, we in certain, uh, with, with certain infrastructure and floodplains, we spent a number of years continuing to rebuild what was there because it was there. And we finally said, why are we, why are we continuing to rebuild if we know that it's going to be flooded in mm. the next few years? So we're all kind of having to reimagine um, what does this, you know, with climate change, what is the new normal and, you know, where can we add some space and capacity for, uh, for nature in that regard? And it, for us way out West, having just traveled back to the West and sadly through the Rockies, uh, not really being able to see the beautiful Rockies just because of that smoke from the West. Mm. It's to Becky's point, it's hitting, it, it's very real now, I think, for all of us. Locally there in Missouri, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, you folks now have on the books law for prescribed burning, uh, which I also found through my research is remarkable since 93% of your property is privately held. That's exactly right. And that was legislation passed just this last year to provide some liability insurance uh, for those who want to do prescribed burning, which hadn't been an opportunity in the past. So it was uh, it was an important measure and one where hopefully even now will encourage even more safely done, but opportunities mm. to do prescribed burns. That's fantastic. Um, when you, I'm just curious, when you're engaging those landowners, like were they needing to be incentivized or they did, did they just understand like this is something that needs to be done and this is a benefit to me for managing my own land? You know, Fred, it's not going to surprise Becky here in the show me state. Uh, we, uh, landowners tend to look at what their neighbors are doing and not necessarily what we tell them to do, but once their neighbors 
um, participate, let's say, in a prescribed burn and they see the benefits mm. of a prescribed burn, then we begin to get interest. Yeah. Then there's a desire even to do a workshop in a given area. But it tends to take that progressive landowner to, to really model and show the way. And we had enough uh, interest then from private landowners saying we want to do it. Uh, we have this concern about um, liability. And so it was, it was good timing. That's fantastic. You know, kind of cliche, but it takes one, right? It, it only takes, takes one, one right. and then it gets going, right? And right. don't ever doubt the, the, the power of that person that's out front that can show others. That's exactly Be right. By example. For sure. Director Polly, uh, before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you, do you have a, a personal challenge that you would like to uh, put out there on the landscape nationally or just there in Missouri for, uh, for your folks as it pertains to Conservation Week and something, uh, something easy or challenging people can do on their own to improve um, what we're all doing, improve the community? So I don't know how you beat uh, Cuz's recommendation. I mean, change happens because of a personal experience. And um, I know, I bet you Becky's story, Fred, your story, my story is all going to be the same is that someone took the time to connect us with the out of doors and take us out there. So I don't know how, I know change happens one person at a time and because of that invitation. And so that would be my challenge to those here in Missouri. Uh, I tell you, we just dropped from the 90s to the 70s uh, overnight last night. And boy, are there happier people in the state <laughs> yeah. right now. A lot better attitudes. I bet. Um, that humidity's dropped. It is gorgeous outside. It is a great time to take a neighbor, take a family member, take someone that you just met, but take them outside, whatever it may be. Uh, get them outside, get some fresh air, and uh, make that first connection with the out of doors. Fantastic. Uh, Becky, same question. Yeah, I, you know, I think sharing your love of the outdoors and getting them outdoors, but also talking to people about, we've had so many mental health issues this last year with people that are struggling in silence. And I think showing the way for people to get a little solace, to get a little comfort in terms of the grandeur of the outdoors. Um, it behooves all of us to share that with people, not only people we know well, but people that we don't know well, um, to reach out and, and be that kind person who helps show them something that could, could improve the quality of their life and invite them in. It's a uh, long overdue in our society of re-engaging and knowing people right across the street. And what a fantastic opportunity to get to know a neighbor or a young person down the street that you see riding their bike past your house. Uh, Cause I can speak from experience. There, there is an interest. They see you getting into your truck or your car with your camo and their interest is peaked. Um, and then when they ask, be ready to engage, be ready to be like, okay, I can kind of pay it forward. Didn't know it was there, but you know, there they are. Let's, let's go ahead. Squirrel yep. season's in rough grouse are in. Let's, let's go for a walk. Well, invite them over for dinner to help share yeah, the harvest and exactly. then take them out afterwards. I mean, there's all different ways that we can do it. It doesn't have to be getting them out hunting and fishing initially, but it it needs to connect with people. Director Polly, uh, before I let you go, you were once asked uh, something that most people don't know about you. And in that answer, you stated you took a semester off of law school to live on a trap line with Cree trappers in Northern Canada. 
as a recovering trapper or someone who longs for trap lines, <laughs> please tell me about your experience in Northern Canada and what did you engage in and how awesome was it? Oh, my goodness. It was uh, a heck of a lot better than uh, sitting in a classroom <laughs> <laughs> in law school. Yeah, it was it was a fascinating, uh, fascinating journey for me. It was a, a project funded by both the U.S. and the Canadian government. Um, focusing on the impacts of declining world fur market prices to subsistent communities. And uh, so it was a very remote community in northern Manitoba, community of Puckatawagan along the Churchill River. Mm. I remember being dropped off by train and a guy on a snowmobile picked me up and, and took me several miles into, into this very remote community. Um, but it was a great opportunity to better understand the, the way of life and how those communities were so dependent upon natural resources and how uh, impacts uh, outside of their control um, could, could so influence their way of sure. life. It was, as you can imagine, no running water. I did have heat in my, uh, <laughs> when we weren't out on the trap line, I had a little cabin and and uh, had the, the local fire truck bring around water every couple of weeks. And um, so it is a, a journey I will never forget, an adventure I will never forget, but certainly helped me understand that there are communities around this globe still very dependent upon our natural resources. Absolutely. And uh, that way of life, it, it is a... Um, I, I, I long for kind of the, the peace and quiet that I experienced there and that connection with nature uh, in all of its raw forms when it's on average 20 below zero or zero <laughs> or, or below zero. So, um, um, but it was an adventure of a lifetime. It's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that with us. I selfishly wanted to hear that because I'm picturing this whole Jack London-esque uh, picture in my head. So it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, parting thoughts? Well, thank you for what NWTF does. I mean, you guys, you guys do just such a remarkable job of uh, making the out of doors real through through your magazine, through your programs. Um, I just, I am so proud to have uh, once been a staff member there, but so proud to be a current member. Becky, you're a remarkable leader. You've led uh, during uh, globally challenging times, and you're leading the organization, I think, into such a good place. But you, you all do a great job of reminding people, ultimately, yeah, it's about the hunting and the resource, but it is about, ultimately, that beautiful connection with nature that we've just been talking about that we all need. So um, thanks. Really, I want to end with thanking you all for what you do. Fantastic. Becky, parting well, thoughts? Likewise, Sarah, thank you for your tremendous leadership. Um, you know, as president of the Association of State Fish and Wildlife Agencies, you've run not one but two agencies in Missouri. You are truly a tremendous leader and a role model for so many folks and um, inspirational leader. So thank you for all you've done and thank you for what's yet to come. I look forward to it. And thanks for being a great partner with NWTF and member. Thank you, Becky. Becky, Director Polly, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for being a part of the uh, official inaugural episode of Turkey Call podcast. And uh, I hope to see you all very soon. Have uh, safe, fantastic fall seasons, and we'll see you out there. All Thanks right. so much. Thank, thank you. you. All right, folks, that is a wrap on this first official episode of the Turkey Call 
All Access Podcast, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Thanks so much for having us along for your ride uh, during your day, wherever you're at in the world. I'd like to thank our guests for this first episode, Mossy Oaks, Cuz Strickland, Becky Humphrey, CEO of the National Wild Turkey Federation, Director Sarah parker Polly of the Missouri Department of Conservation. Really good time with those folks. Really enjoyed the conversation. I hope it inspires you. I hope you will hear the call, the challenges laid down. Uh, real easy, guys. Uh, bring one person with you this fall. Fishing, hunting, walks in nature, our numbers double instantly. It's attainable, and we can definitely do it. One more time, thank you to our guests. Thank you guys for your support, for listening, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and rate where applicable. Definitely on that iTunes helps the program move up the charts and get seen by other folks. So that's what we're looking for. Uh, it's Conservation Week. Get out there, do something, go outside. And while you're at it, a little fundraising, if you would. We have put together a beautiful Conservation Week 2021 t-shirt it's a really nice design tri-blend t-shirt next level t-shirt really comfortable soon to be your favorite t-shirt if you go onto our social pages uh, you can click the link get them while you can they're flying off the shelves limited supply limited run so go get your 2021 conservation week nwtf t-shirt that's it guys uh we're heading on the road we're gonna go see some volunteers collect some more amazing stories and until next time I'm your host, Fred Bird. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you. Bye-bye.